0: Hillary Clinton has finally taken personal responsibility for all the things that caused her to lose the election through no fault of her own. In various interviews and speeches, Mrs. Clinton has blamed her loss on James Comey, the Russians, the Democrat Party, voter suppression, the media, the weather, a guy at a gas station who gave her directions to Arizona when she asked the way to Wisconsin. And the fact that Satan promised he would make her president if she would give him her immortal soul and then lied to her and pulled the prize away at the last minute. Actually, I'm not sure that last one is really a very good excuse. Anyway, according to a report on the website Axios, Hillary's friends say she is, quote, seething with rage and haunted by her loss. Now, far be it from me to revel in Mrs. Clinton's personal pain or celebrate her agonizing comeuppance. Or dance around the room singing a happy, happy song at the news that she's suffering. Nor would I ever wear a red clown nose and make funny faces in the bathroom mirror upon hearing that she had been plunged into a personal hell because her lifelong corruption failed to pay off. That would be wrong. Especially wearing the clown nose. Which never happened. Or if it did, I regret it. In any case, Clinton's rage has apparently left her a bit confused. For instance, in a recent commencement speech at her alma mater, Wellesley University, Mrs. Clinton said she was as furious about the election of Donald Trump as she had been furious at Richard Nixon when he was impeached. But in fact, Richard Nixon wasn't impeached. That was Mrs. Clinton's husband, Bill. So which one of these two presidents is she actually furious at? It's hard to tell, especially since Mrs. Clinton made the speech while wearing a beret that looked remarkably similar to the beret once worn by Bill Clinton's mistress, Monica Lewinsky. Although maybe that was a gesture of thanks to Miss Lewinsky for taking care of Bill's personal needs, leaving Mrs. Clinton more free time in which to plot her lifelong run for the presidency, which ultimately failed, leaving her furious and miserable, which is not something I would revel in or celebrate or sing happy, happy songs over. Mrs. Clinton's estrangement from the facts was further on display in an interview she gave to New York Magazine in which she claimed to have beaten both Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. While it is true that with all the power of the Democrat Party machine conspiring to help her, Mrs. Clinton was able to eke out a primary victory over the 75-year-old communist Sanders, the evidence suggests she actually lost to Trump in the presidential election, the evidence being the fact that Trump is president and she's not. In short, Mrs. Clinton has still not come to terms with what we like to call reality, because it's reality. Perhaps this explains her seething rage and unhappiness. Which in turn would explain why I was wearing a red clown nose. If I had been, which of course I wasn't. Trigger warning: I'm Andrew Claven, and this is the Andrew Claven Show. I'll hunky donkey, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-dee. Ship-shaped dipsy-topsy, the world is a biddy zing. It's a wonderful day. hooray! It makes me want to sing. Oh, hooray, hooray. Oh, hooray, hooray.
1: Despite the constant negative press,
0: <laughs> 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 we should add that to the opening permanently. Who, what's the name of the guy who did this? Rob Diemer composed, put uh, President Trump's Kafifi tweet to music. <laughs> Play it again. <laughs> that was great. Despite the constant negative press, <laughs> I love the internet. All right. Floyd Abrams is here. Floyd Abrams is a titan of First Amendment law. He has gone to the Supreme Court on cases that include major, major Supreme, uh, First Amendment cases, including the Pentagon Papers and Citizens United. So he has been hated by both the left and the right, which is what we like to hear. That's a friend A friend of the show, is a man who stands up for the First Amendment no matter who is talking. Now, We will get to him as soon as he calls in. We're going to have... It's going to be a little bit of a technical uh, show. We're going to hope... Hopefully, we're going to get through because... He has something called a telephone, which doesn't actually operate on our 21st century equipment. So we'll have to see if we can uh, if we can do it. So there's been this big debate because every time I talk about standing online, I'm a New Yorker and I say standing online. And everybody says is it in line or online? Which is right, online or in line? And the answer is neither. Get stamps.com, and then you don't have to stand online or in line or online in your inlines, which would also be kind of strange. But with stamps.com, you can just. Start the entire post office into your your computer as it screams with agony. No, no, please don't stuff the post office into me. Yes, I must because I don't wanna to go to the post office anymore and stand online and have to worry about when it's open, when it's closed. I wanna be able to mail my letters when I want them. With stamps.com, you get just about everything, everything the U.S. Postal Service will do. It's right at your fingertips. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer. You just put the envelope in. It comes out with a stamp. It's really cool. Stamps.com makes it easy. They'll send you a digital scale, which automatically calculates the exact postage so you don't have to wonder and put on too much uh, you know, put on too much poster- postage. And stamps.com will even help you decide the Best class of mail based on your needs. So there's no need to lease an expensive postage meter. I'm not sure anybody actually does that anymore. But if you did, you no longer have to because stamps.com puts it all in your computer. And it really is. I mean, the post office does so much and we still need it a lot, especially when we're dealing with official documents and money and stuff like this. So you don't have to suddenly get in your car and pile everything up and wait and drive there and all this stuff. Right now, you too can enjoy the stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a 4 week trial plus postage and a digital scale and without long term commitments. Well, you do it, you go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in claven k l a v a n. That's stamps.com and enter claven. You will get that all that at stamps.com you never have to go to the post office again. You know, I have this thing about predicting the future. I always feel that when, when you're listening to a commentator predicting the future more than, you know, two minutes out or what's going to happen immediately as a result of something, an action being taken. First, I have to stop before I get going. I have to say hello to Lindsay Boring. You're hello. back. Our lovely Lindsay and Will will say hello, hello to you too, Will. We don't really care that much about you but we, we love Lindsay <laughs> and she she lives on in our mailbag Woohoo! hoo She is always, is she? woo-hoo. You know, we want you we want you to record a new one that says woohoo hoo kafifi. That's the, the, the new one. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, so I don't believe in in predicting the future because I just think you just don't know. I mean, people say, well, in four years, or we're in you know the midterm elections. This is going to happen. You know, there could be all kinds of things that affect the midterm election. But but if I had to guess, I actually believe that yesterday is marks a kind of turning point in the division between the electorate and the elites. And by by elites, I just mean these people who think themselves elite. I don't mean people like me who drink Chardonnay and eat brie cheese and are actually elite people because we're just better than everybody else. I mean these people who think they're better than everybody else in the press. They have gone insane. Their slow reaction time to Kathy Griffin's disgusting thing with uh, Trump's head, but also just their absolute—they're blith- now blithering. They are blithering, and they don't care because— Economically, it's feasible to them to do it because all you have to do is win one half of the audience and you've got a big audience. And that was actually something that Fox News taught them, right? Fox News went to this audience that nobody had spoken to. All these people out in the middle of America, all these people who maybe a little bit older, a little bit more conservative, didn't care about the things that the press cared about, the people in L.A. and New York cared about. They didn't know they were there. They still don't know they're there. I just, I, I mean, I know this is a silly thing to talk about, but... This, this kafifi thing, right, it's President Trump sent out a tweet and he said we're doing well despite all the negative press kafifi. Probably meant coverage, but he misspelled it. And he just left it there. And then he said in the morning, you know, who, who knows what kafifi, who can who can tell what kafifi is? I just want you to listen to this because this is one of the most incredible pieces of tape I've, I've heard. Here is Katie Tour at MSNBC discussing the all important kafifi. This is a, a montage of her discussing the all important kafifi tweet, okay?
2: If something like that can stay on Twitter for (laughs) six hours, what does that say about who controls the information coming out of the White House? And what if somebody hacked into Twitter and posted a message that could have global implications, saying something like, Donald Trump is, or I'm going to launch nuclear weapons. Mm. Is it really concerning about uh, you know, the, the chain of events right. that something like that could set off? Yes, this is precisely the thing that keeps me up at night, literally. Um, but since Trump is inaugurated... This kept me up at night right. last night! So, so, so- I- literally, literally um, I am afraid away. that Donald Trump will tweet something that will launch us into a war or a, a potential conflict that we won't be able to get out of. Talk to me about the, the security concerns, the implications of what it means that Donald Trump has a way to communicate with America and the world that is not monitored, that is not checked. What if his account gets hacked? Say, Just say, what if his account gets hacked? And somebody posts just a, a message to- saying that, the, you know, we are uh, aiming nukes at North Korea. Uh, is there anybody that can go in there and say, oh, my God, no, take it down. Is anybody monitoring this account after hours in the middle of the night? How does something like this stay up?
0: <laughs> I mean, this is from kafifi to nuclear war, that is the that is the progression in the mind of the giants of the media industry at MSNBC. And if you think it is just Katie Tour being insane, here is the cut of the press corps hammering Sean Spicer on this all important kafifi issue. Listen to this. Do you think people should be concerned um, that the president posted somewhat of an incoherent tweet last night, and that it then stayed up for hours?
3: Uh, no.
0: Why did it stay up so long? After, is, is no one watching this?
3: No, I, I think the the, uh, the president and a small group of people know exactly what he meant. Like. Sean, <laughs> What does it
4: mean, Blake.
3: Blake? What does Covet mean, Blake. Blake. I'm, I'm, what is I'm, I'm, Blake? I want to go to Paris is at second. No, this thing is Blake. Blake. <laughs> is it at this, oh this point with Paris? Is it fully removed?
0: fully removed, you know, and then they make fun of Sean Spicer because he said a few people know what it means. He was like making fun. He's he's trolling them and they're giving him a hard time. And this is what they're shouting at the press secretary about. And then when President Trump says he may cancel his daily press briefings, it's like, oh, my God, the First Amendment will suffer because nobody will know how Kafifi stood up there. You know, there's a a guy who has a blog. His name is Fred Reed. And his his blog is called Fred on Everything. And he wrote a, a piece called Notes of a Reform. Newsweasel, understanding the vacuity, understanding the vacuity of the news. Media. Just listen to this paragraph. He says, asks journalists when they were last in a truck stop on an interstate, when they were last in Boone, North Carolina or Barstow, California, or any of thousands of such towns across the country. Ask whether they were in the military, whether they have ever talked to a cop or an ambulance crewman or a fireman. Ask whether they have a Mexican friend when they last ate in a restaurant where a majority of the customers were black, whether they know an enlisted man or anyone in the armed service, whether they have hitchhiked overnight, baited a hook hunted or fired a rifle, whether they have ever worked washing dishes, harvesting crops, driving a delivery truck, whether they have a blue-collar friend, know what the Texas two-step is, have been in a biker bar. I have to say, I fulfill many of these, I actually yeah. do. Now look at how much they write about each other for each other. Look at the endless coverage of what Maddow said about what Hannity thought about O'Reilly's harassment of soft porn star Megan and how much she might make it CNN ask how much time they spend comparing ratings they are fascinated by themselves they don't know america and they don't much like it i mean that is so accurate and it's the what is so astonishing is the lack of self knowledge so All of this stuff has played into what is now obviously Hillary Clinton going insane. I mean, Hillary Clinton is, you know, this is, you know, I I say these things kind of comically because I don't know these people, so I don't know they're going insane. But if Al Gore didn't go nuts, remember the last three Republicans who lost all thought that, that they were cheated out of the election, right? And Al Gore had the best case. I mean, it was so narrow and it finally had to be decided in the Supreme Court and at one point... The, the election was conceded and then they took the concession back and all this stuff. If Al Gore didn't go insane after that, I mean, that if that's not what insanity looked like with the speeches he made, that big beard he grew like Den- David Letterman now has, you know, and the way he started talking about climate change like it was the, this terrible disaster. And he just, he just went insane. And now I think Hillary Clinton has followed suit. You know, I think she has gone nuts. So- One of the things that happened, I guess it was still this week or it was partly last week, was this news story, this anonymous news story about Jared Kushner. Theoretically, was he trying to establish some kind of back channel with the Russians, which wouldn't even be a news story if it were a news story, if it were real. Um, but he was talking to a Russian banker and that he, possibly the banker suggested they establish a back channel. There's no evidence this ever happened. And Andy McCarthy, the, the great National Review writer who used to be a federal prosecutor, pointed out that this destroys the whole idea that the Trump campaign was colluding with the Russians. Because if they were colluding with the Russians, this happened, This this back channel thing happened during the transition. If they were colluding with the Russians, then they would have already had a back channel, right? So here's Andy McCarthy explaining this, at like like the
3: prosecutor he is. There's no there there as far as the collusion conspiracy is concerned. But I, I think the thing that happened this weekend that's really important that people miss, because they're so giddy about this story about Kushner, is it blew up the collusion conspiracy. Because if there had actually been... A collusion conspiracy, there would already be back channels to russia there's no there'd be no reason for Kushner in December weeks after the election to need to set up a back channel to Russia had there been one during the campaign. So I know for the moment they're they're loving the story, but i I think it 's kind of exploded the story that they 've been telling us for six months
0: so there 's Andy McCarthy noticing what no one else has noticed, and i 'm going to talk about how that plays into hillary clinton 's latest Debacle of an interview, but I want to pause, and we have uh, Floyd Abrams on the line. And while our technology is actually working, this this connection between an actual telephone and and our our up to date system that can't handle uh, telephones. Floyd Abrams is the author of a book that I just thought was terrific, The Soul of the First Amendment. I recommend it to everybody. It's really short; you can read it in a couple hours. But it is just incredibly illuminating. He is a titan in defending the First Amendment in the Supreme Court. As I said before, he worked uh, the, the Pentagon Papers case and Citizens United. So he has gotten flack uh, from the left and the right. And that's what we like to hear. We like to hear a man who stands up for free speech no matter who's doing it. Uh, Mr. Abrams, are you there? I am there. It's good to be on. Thank you. It's, I'm really uh, happy to have you. I loved your book. Uh it really Thank was you. an eye opener. Um I would like to I'd like to actually talk about the book a little bit. Uh some of the stuff that really uh, surprised me. First of all, uh, some of the history angle. Uh the fact that the first amendment there were people among the founders who argued against the first amendment because they thought we didn't need it. Isn't that Isn't that right? Exactly. Uh, Alexander Hamilton
1: was one one of the leaders uh, who basically was against the Bill of Rights at all and uh, basically he said, well, why, why do we have to write down all these things the government can't do? For one thing, we're, we're gonna forget some things. We're not gonna list all of them. We never empowered this new federal government to do these things. Why do we have to say they can't do them? Uh, and it was Jefferson and some of the people who were uh, more uh, cherry, more more concerned uh, uh, about this area. Uh, Jefferson said, I'm astonished, astonished to find that 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 pe- people in this country should be contented to live under a system which takes away freedom of religion and freedom of the press, uh, and that a Bill of Rights is what the people are entitled to against every government on earth. I mean, over time, uh, it so seems it, that
0: that was m- the much wiser argument.
1: It sure was, and we'd be a very different country, you know, if we had simply... Relied on the proposition that, well, since the Constitution doesn't say that the federal government can't take your rights away, therefore they can't. Uh, uh, you know the idea. I mean, the idea of of writing it down. First of all, making it part of the document and making it law. You know, not an essay, not a poem, not aspirational, but but law, enforceable
0: by the courts. Uh, was itself an enormous achievement. And and at the same time, you write about the fact that the the First Amendment essentially lay latent for a long time, and it's like nobody referred to it.
1: That's right, that's right, I mean, for the entire nineteenth century, uh, there weren't any cases uh, I mean th- there were situations of free speech being limited. I mean abolitionists were put in jail in some places in the south uh, because of what they said. Uh, uh, President Lincoln you know suspended habeas corpus during the civil War and and, and some northern uh, editors were jailed, but no one ever really got around to making a, a serious constitutional challenge uh, uh, to to what was happening. And it really wasn't into uh, wasn't really the second half of the 20th century when most
0: of our First Amendment
1: law really started to be fleshed out.
0: And it it shows how revolutionary it was that almost nobody thought to say you can 't do that because of the First Amendment, it shows how, how That's the, right. the consciousness absolutely was. so what and, and if you think, uh, yeah, go on what, what changed? when did this really start to change, and why I think it really
1: changed uh, with World War one uh, and the opposition to it by socialists and anarchists, including Eugene Debs, who ran for president, got like three million votes and wound up in jail <laughs> because he gave a speech saying. Basically, that's a bad war. And basically, uh, he went to jail uh, on the theory that if you say things like that, fewer people are going to enlist. That's going to be bad for the war effort. Uh, And those are the cases which started with the very great dissenting opinions of Justice Holmes and Justice Brandeis. But we're ready into the 1920s when we talk about those opinions. Uh, And it it really wasn't till, as I said, the the mid-20th century and in particular, I would say, the, the classic the case was the 1964 case of New York Times against Sullivan. That's a, that's a case in which a, a Southern white jury uh, rendered an, uh, a, a very big libel judgment against the Times, for an advertisement, uh, actually, uh, about Dr. Martin Luther King's treatment while he was in prison. Um, and it was a time when enormous judgments were being entered by Southern juries against what I'll call the national press for their coverage of events in the South. Uh, And the Supreme Court wound up saying that as regards public people, public figures, public officials, that, that they couldn't recover in a libel case unless the language was not only false, but known to be false or suspected to be false by the people uh, who have uh, articulated them. That was a big deal, and then the Pentagon Papers case, it was just seven years later, and that was another very big deal, which really solidified the proposition that that the government, even in the course of the war, the war in Vietnam was on, uh, can't go, go to court except in the most extraordinary circumstances and get an injunction, a prior restraint, Against the press publishing material, did so you, we're talking really
0: the you know we're talking the, the, the three quarters of the way into the twentieth century. Now, did you? I know you worked on the Pentagon Papers case. Did you actually yes. argue that before the Supreme Court? Uh, Professor Alexander Bickel from Yale Law School argued it, and I was co counsel with him. But but he was the one that argued it. So then you got flack on that. Obviously, the Republicans, uh, the conservatives, were not happy about that. But then you sure. came Back around and you did Citizens United, which we've never ceased to hear from from uh, uh, Hillary Clinton. You were also on that case. Right. And,
1: and I was one of the two people who argued that case. I represented Senator McConnell uh, in that case. You see, I think they're both on the same side. Uh, you know, the the conservatives, including some people at my law firm who said it Field to represent traitors when we were representing The New York Times uh, and a lot of a lot of my friends on the left uh, during Citizens United who were saying you know how can you how how can you possibly defend the big corporations spending lots of money about who's who's elected uh, and for, from my perspective they were both you know really clear cases in, in which you really have to allow the speech, and if you don't allow the speech, you're, you're cutting back on, on core, absolutely central First Amendment
0: principles. So, so, here was the part of your book that actually shocked me, and I think it, it will shock a lot of people, especially there are a lot of younger people in my audience who have been living essentially at the high watermark of free speech. Right now, it's very, I, I don't know what you would say that would get you arrested yeah. in this country. Um, But you talk about, uh, I know that in the old days, it was a lot lot of times conservatives who were uh, fighting against free speech to uh, things they thought were pornographic and so forth. But right now on the left, there seems to be uh, this theory that essentially would make the First Amendment disappear. And you talk about Justice Breyer specifically writing about this theory. Can you explain what this theory is? Yeah, you know, what what
1: Justice Breyer was saying is, look, the First Amendment is not just an individual right, that it exists to assure that the government actually represents the views of the people by being sure that the people can speak out, etc. And my view is that, while that sounds uh, attractive, and indeed, one of the results of living in a society in which people can speak out is that, you know, we hope, at least now and then, Congress represents the, the actual view of the public. But I think it's very dangerous to start talking about the about the first amendment as, as as being focused on making the government work better or be more responsive the the First Amendment is a limit on the government it is a it exists to be sure that the government doesn't overstep the bounds into areas of freedom of religion freedom of speech freedom of the press and and from, from the way I view it. Uh, and, and the way a number of people on the Supreme Court viewed it, uh, the, the the very notion of, of saying that, that, that the, the core at the center of the First Amendment is making sure that government is genuinely representative of the views of the public has it all wrong. The, the purpose of the First Amendment is to avoid censorship by the government
0: of views, most of all, about the government. Right, because otherwise the government would be deciding what was good for the government. I mean, Absolutely. So how, Absolutely. how many uh, justices on the Supreme Court do you think are sympathetic to Breyer's argument?
1: Well, four of them uh, uh, signed on to that opinion. Wow. Uh, um as to whether uh, you know they, they all would really do so in a, in a later case, uh, uh, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I don't, uh, I don't really think, for example, Justice Kagan uh, is is really prepared to go that far. Although she did join an opinion which which expressed that
0: view, but 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 it could be as as many as four. So it's possible that if Scalia had not been replaced with a conservative, the First Amendment would have completely changed its meaning, basically. It's possible.
1: Well, uh, yeah, yes, it's possible. That's possible. I, I mean, uh, you know, and, and uh, as you've said and I've said, uh, it's certainly possible that a case like Citizens United would have been reversed. Mm. See, and, and, yeah. and to me, the, the notion that, you know, here a conservative group made a movie denouncing Hillary Clinton, uh in 2008 when she was the likely democratic candidate um uh, an hour long um, that 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 they wanted to put on pay pay for view and the idea that that could be criminal Mm. if it went on television or cable or satellite within 60 days of an election or 30 days of a primary Seem to me antithetical to what the First Amendment is most about, which is allowing criticism of government officials or people to seek
0: to be uh, president, no less. It, it's amazing. I mean, the New York Times actually attacked you for this, right? They attacked you for. They sure did. That's- yes, yes. Like a, a, a long-time
1: client. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's right, Roll uh, Yeah, yeah. No, no. That, that that's. Uh, I mean, uh, from the point of view of uh, liberal America, uh, uh, campaign finance uh, is is writ into law as, as if it were the Constitution. The wow. sort of anything goes if Congress passes it, uh, and and again, to me, that that simply ignores. Core
0: heart principles of the First Amendment itself. Well, let let me ask you a, a final question. Uh, you know, I, looking into the immediate future, I mean, I've heard uh, Donald Trump say some things about libel laws that sent a chill up my yeah. spine. But where, what, do you, what are the things you fear most in in terms of the First Amendment? I would
3: say
1: most of all, uh, uh, t- two areas. One is an expansive use of the Espionage Act. Hmm. Uh, so that it could rope in uh, journalists. Uh, I mean, the Espionage Act was written literally 100 years ago, 1917. During World War I, it's phrased very broadly uh, and it's all, and there are very few cases under it, indeed none involving journalists as, as such. Uh, so, you know, while I think that the, what well, I'll call my side, the journalist side, the First Amendment side would win uh, if the administration were, were to come down hard on journalists under this law, uh, you can't be sure of that because the language of, of that is very broad. The other thing I'm most concerned about is on college campuses, yeah. uh, where where uh, you know uh, all, all about that. And 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 uh, remember, the First Amendment only applies when we're talking about the government, you know, state schools, etc. Uh, private schools are allowed to do what they want about inviting, not inviting, uh, loading the dice when they invite speakers, etc. But not state schools. I mean, they're bound by the First Amendment, and they're they're not allowed to uh, in effect to ban Ann Coulter because of her views. Right. Uh, and And uh, that 's one of the things that has been going on in one way or another, either by university administrations or by students uh, uh, making it impossible for certain views and In this case, they, they
0: do tend to be conservative views uh, from being heard on campus well. Wow. Floyd Abrams, you are a hero to my, my people. I really appreciate wow, your coming on thank you. and your book, uh, The Soul of the First Amendment. Absolutely terrific. Thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate thank it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. All right. uh, so that is a guy who argued both the Pentagon Papers and so he didn't argue the Pentagon Papers. He worked on that, but he argued uh, Citizens United. Uh, that's what you like to hear, right? You like to hear a guy who stands up for anybody who's talking. But... This is one of the things that if if you heard, as we've been going along, you all know, if you've been listening, that, that when Donald Trump first started ru- running, I was appalled. And if you heard me soften a little bit toward Donald Trump, this is one of the reasons, reading this book, when I realized ah, we dodged a bullet. These guys are literally arguing that what the First Amendment means is that f- speech should be free if it helps make the government better. So who's going to decide that? The government. And what Mr. Abrams is saying is that, no, the First Amendment says... Get out, government. You cannot stop us from saying what we want to say. And, you know, it it is a shame. It is a shame that our media has gone so crazy that they've almost made it so that the the First Amendment, they're embarrassing the, the First Amendment. But still, still, they have the right to say what they say It's as long as I have the right to come on and make fools of them as they make fools of themselves. So let's go back for a minute to this this thing that I'm talking about today about how I feel that yesterday was a kind of turning point where I think people are going to see you know, these guys think that nobody can see them and they think there's nobody who matters who sees them. They don't care if they see them out in Ohio. You know, they think as long as they can win that state by two votes on election day, they don't care. But I think that they have covered themselves in so much shame. And this thing that they're doing with this Russia conspiracy which I now really believe is a complete boondoggle. I thought what Andy McCarthy said was right. But here is Hillary. <laughs> Listen to this. I mean, this is a woman who I think is having mental difficulties. This is an interview she gave to sympathetic interviewers where she started talking. She's Here's a, a, a note that tells you this is from Fox and Friends. They put it out today. Everything Clinton. These are the things that Hillary Clinton has blamed for her election loss. OK, I'm just reading this off the page. The FBI James Comey, the Russians, Vladimir Putin, anti-American forces, low information voters, everyone who assumed she'd win, bad polling numbers, Obama for winning two terms, People Wanting Change, Misogynists, Suburban Women, The New York Times, Television Executives, Cable News, Netflix, Democrats Not Making the Right Documentaries, Facebook, Twitter, WikiLeaks, Fake News, Content for- Farms in Macedonia, the Republican Party, and the Democratic Party. These are the people she has blamed. As only, there's only one, one person missing from that list, as far as I can tell, <laughs> it's Hillary Clinton. Now, here she is talking about this conspiracy. And if she doesn't sound like Alex Jones to you, this is the—how the, how did the Russians know how— a wrong footer like this
4: how did they know what messages to deliver who told who told them yeah who were they coordinating with or colluding with because the russians historically in the last couple of decades and then increasingly you know are launching cyber attacks and they are stealing vast amounts of information and a lot of the information they've stolen They've used for internal purposes, to affect markets, to affect um, the intelligence services, et cetera. So this was different because they went public and they were conveying this uh, weaponized information and the content of it. And they were running, you know, there's all these stories about, you know, guys over in Macedonia who are running these fake news sites and, I, you know, I've seen them now and you, you sit there and it looks like a, you know, sort of low level CNN operation. And or got- fake news. Newspaper, or like a fake the Denver newspaper, Guardian, like a fake newspaper, and so the Russians, in my opinion, and based on the intel and counter-intel people I've talked to, could not have known how best to weaponize that information unless they had been guided. <laughs>
0: But I love about this, all conspiracy theories are like this. I'm a very anti-conspiracy theory, but they always have this. How is it possible, you know, that the steel in the World Trade Center could melt just because heat, strong enough to melt steel, was in the—you know, how is it—it it doesn't make any sense to me. How is it possible that Seth Rich just happened—you know, like Antonin Scalia just happened to die during the election just because he was an old man with heart problems. It doesn't make any sense. So he's saying, saying how is it possible the Russians could possibly have known what— information to put out as if anything is secret in this country there's anything secret i mean is there any even our intelligence services don't keep secrets anymore so like well how could they not have known how would they not have known anybody would have known if if um, donald trump people knew how to his campaign people knew how to put out information than the russians knew there are no secrets in this country it's ridiculous but but the thing is i really do believe that the woman is cracking but people crack along their fault lines you know we all crack when when stress makes us crack we all crack along things cracks that are already there old scars and things like this and she has always been like this play play clip nine here she is over time we can see it
4: The great story here for anybody willing to find it and write about it and explain it is this vast right-wing conspiracy that has been conspiring against my husband since the day he announced for president. Do you still believe there's a vast right-wing conspiracy? Don't you? (laughs) I'm asking you. Yeah, it's gotten even better funded. Uh, You know, they brought in some new multi-billionaires to pump the money in. and uh, Look, these guys play for keeps.
0: So, so in the first cut, she's talking about this vast right conspiracy trying to make people think that her husband is cheating on her. So now she has new information, right? She knows her husband. Let, let's say she didn't know before. We, she did, but let's pretend she didn't. So now she knows her husband was cheating on her. She knows there's not, no vast right consp- wing conspiracy. It's You know, decades later and she's still talking about it. So this is obviously an idea fix, you know, the thing that is stuck in her mind. And as she cracks, it's becoming more and more like how could they possibly have known, you know, what the voters wanted to hear. But the thing about it is, is she's not going insane alone. The entire left is going nuts with her. I mean, this thing that's going on on Morning Joe is almost like a soap opera. The two of them, you know, she is the, uh, Mika is an old Democrat hand and Joe used to be a Republican. I don't know what he is now, but they but they fall in love and they get married and suddenly something is happening in, behind closed doors with these two. It's become a folly adieu, you know, they've gone nuts together because suddenly their show is this anti-Trump fest. And it's not just, it's not just an anti-Trump fest it's this conspiracy stuff. Listen to them talking about, they're they're putting together different things that Donald Trump has done that might be viewed as favorable to the Russians, like taking off some of the old restrictions that Obama put in. And obviously, every new administration that comes in tries to make friends with the Russians and then only later turns around and says, huh, there's a knife in my back with Vladimir Putin's name on it. Every administration has done this. Bush did it. Obama did it. Now Trump may be doing it. He seems a little bit tougher because he's got McMaster and Madison there telling him not to do it. But still, he's trying to that we do have things that we have to talk to the Russians about. This is their interpretation of, of that of, of that phenomenon.
4: It, it kind of makes it hard to believe that Putin doesn't have anything on Trump. I mean, it just there's no there seems to be no guardrails here.
3: And think about the timing again. We're talking Steve Willie. We're talking about the poor timing of this decision, especially where we right, are right now in the investigation think about the fact again you always have to put this in context you have you have Donald Trump in the oval office with the the Russian ambassador to the United States Kislyak and the foreign minister Lavrov and that picture took place the day after James Comey was fired when this when the Russian story really exploded then he goes in he reveals classified information uh, he doesn't let US reporters in the room uh, and you can go on and on they make these decisions time and time again in in a way that, that makes it appear that they're hostages. That he's that he's that he's Vladimir Putin's hostage. Why did they have that meeting in the Oval Office? Because Putin told Trump he needed that meeting.
0: Boy, it all fits together, doesn't it? It all comes together. We got it now. You know. I, I hate to say this, but that's actually unpatriotic. It is actually unpatriotic to go on the air on a major uh, show like that and say that the president of the United States is being held hostage or that Vladimir Putin has something on him. If you don't have any evidence and they don't have any evidence, because, you know, obviously the president is going to have to make Uh, you know, gestures toward Putin. He's going to have to talk to him. He's going to have to sit down and talk to him. And now you're making it seem like if he does that, he's somehow a bad guy. He's somehow conspiring that kind of, you know, if he pays any attention to you, which hopefully he won't because he knows all about the bad press Kafifi. you know, he won't he won't pay any attention to it. But if he did pay attention to it, it would really be hobbling to our foreign policy. Here's the thing. Here's why I say that this could be a turning point. And I really it's something I sense it's something at least I'm feeling. And I think there are a lot of people feeling it. You know, Nina Turner is a Democrat strategist and like all democrat strategists she goes out into the country and she talks to people what are they talking about? And the other day she's on I believe it was was it MSNBC or CNN I'm not sure and I think she's talking to Dana Bash and here's the question she's asked about it's CNN. So here's the question she has asked about the Russian
3: conspiracy. How's this playing in Ohio? No one in Ohio is asking about Russia. I mean, we have to deal with this. We definitely have to deal with this. It's on the minds of the American People, but if you want to know what people in Ohio they want to know about jobs, they want to know about their children.
0: Yeah, that's and that's the thing that Trump knows about. And by the way, there are some predictions now that the uh, growth is going to go up higher than three percent. Now, many of you have never seen the contrast between an Obama or Jimmy Carter economy and a Reagan or hopefully a Trump economy. You've never seen it change from nothing to three plus and three plus percent. I can tell you, I lived through it, it's like laughing gas. It's as if the entire country is doused with laughing gas. If that happens, these guys can be talking about Russia, they can be running around chasing Vladimir Putin up and down the halls of MSNBC and CNN and looking for him in their trash baskets and where is he hiding in the broom closet. Donald Trump will win states that don't even exist. He'll win like the 57 states that Obama talked about. You will not believe what a country looks like when it goes from eight years of 1.5% growth to 3.5% growth. And I know a lot of experts say, oh, that's never going to happen. They said that when Reagan came in, too it can happen. I mean, obviously, the Republicans have got to get over the, out of their own way and start passing some of this, these tax cuts and things like this. But already, some of the stuff that Trump is doing with pulling back the regulations has helped. They're talking about him getting out of the Paris Accord. Now, that's kind of it's kind of a phony accord. We'll have to talk. I'm not going to talk about that until he actually does it. They keep saying he's going to do it, but I'm not sure uh, because it's so hard to tell what's true in the news nowadays. But look, if nothing else, If you take nothing else away from this, remember what Floyd Abrams said. There are four judges. There may be as many as four judges on the Supreme Court who believe that they should be in control of your First Amendment rights, that the government should decide when what you're saying is good for the government. That's what essentially Justice Breyer's theory is, that the government should decide when what you say should be covered by the First Amendment. There are four There would have been five if Donald Trump had not been elected. As far as I'm concerned, I kiss his funny red hair because, you know, for all his flaws and he's an erratic guy. And I hope he's going to learn to do some of this stuff better. I hope he's going to learn to work the Congress better. But that is a bullet the size of Big Bertha. You know, that is a big shell that we dodged uh, by not electing Hillary Clinton, who's obviously a loon, and by electing Donald Trump, who does seem to be learning the trade. All right, we got to go and the claveless weekend is already upon us. Man, that happened fast but we will leave you with this little here's a little piece of of pure joy that we leave you because we know for the next three days all is bleakness and darkness although I have to say that Shapiro will be back because of the Jewish holidays he's lost two days but he'll come back and do a Friday show and that'll cheer you up (laughs) but this will cheer you up. Here is uh, Connie Boswell, one of the most forgotten and most brilliant jazz singers in American history. She was just wonderful and she sang with Bing Crosby and Bing Crosby, you know, before he started doing the bubble stuff. He was one of the great jazz singers too, singing one of my favorite Bobby Mercer songs, Bob White. I'm Andrew Claven. This is the Andrew Claven Show. Survivors, gather here Monday.
4: I was talking to the Whippoorwill. He says you got a corny drill. Bob White.
1: I'm gonna swing tonight. I was talking to the mockingbird. and Bert. He says you are the worst he's heard. Bob White. I'm going to swing tonight.
4: Even the owl tells me a are foul, singing those lullaby notes.
1: Well, he's a bring down. He never could swing down. He ain't got my high nose. There's a lot of talk about you, Bob. Yeah. They're saying you're off the car. Why, that's heresy. I'll sue. Take it, mm-hmm. Mr. B. I go. Take
3: it, follow me. Bob right?
1: We're gonna break it up tonight.